The Oregon Ducks are back. Wait a second. Just into the studio. The Oregon Ducks are not back. Uh, Ducks somehow blow a game that was unlosable, really. All that and the rest of the other three Pac-12 games, we're going to talk about it this week's Eligible Receivers. He's Eric. I'm Warren. Let's start the show. Hello, blog fans. Well, you work all week on trying to identify who the eligible receivers are. This is Eligible Receivers, the show where we review last week's Pac-12 action, pick next week's Pac-12 games against the spread, and keep track of how we're doing on our picks over the course of the season. So, last week, started off on Friday night in Troy, in the Coliseum. The Trojans hosted Washington State in a game where USC were slight favorites. Uh, and I tell you what, we ended up with a good game out of this one. USC wins it 39-36, to but... It took some doing, you know, the Cougs hung around. The Cougs looked like a competent outfit. Yeah, I mean, it was a big second half for USC that did it. They won the second half 22 to 12. Um, that's really the only thing that propelled them, you know, that's a stupid thing to say. Yeah, they scored more points, and that's what propelled them to victory. Uh, but really it was, I mean, they had to come back on the Cougs. Um, Gardner Minshew played well um, for, for WSU. USC is, I mean, just horribly coached. I don't know how much of this game. Were you able to watch the whole thing? I mean, if, if I was a USC fan, I'd be losing my mind trying to root for this team. I think I, I watched the the first drive of the game because a lot of our discussion last week was like, well, I'm just taking USC because I don't believe in WSU's defense and USC is just going to jam it down their throats, right? And yeah. so I watched the first drive of the game, and lo and behold, USC – shoves it square up their ass all the way down the field. And it looks like WSU don't even belong in the game, right? And then this is, you know, Friday night, I got to get my kids in the shower. I got to get them in pajamas, got to read them stories, get back around to checking out the game. It's halftime, WSU ahead, ahead by a score. Yeah, they're like looking looking like good value. And the game goes into the fourth quarter. And it's like the, the athletic difference is there. But, yeah, I mean, USC is just like uh, – uh, they're they're a mess for what they ought to be. They should be so much better. I mean, just if they just dumbed it down and just played base offense and defense and did, they'd be so much better than what they are now. But the fact that they are the the number of mistakes that they make is just it, there's no excuse for it. Like there's no excuse. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah, it's I I mean I I just don't get it. But I mean but to to the other side if I want to give some props to Washington State and I do. Uh I mean they they look like they're good, you know? I mean like which is amazing considering you know, they lose Luke Falk who'd been there forever uh and had been like a reliable winner for them, you know, even when he was like splitting time with when he was getting pulled somehow as like a senior. Uh you know, they were still winning games all the time. And I you just figure at some point the clock's going to strike midnight for Mike Leach in these Cougs. But, I mean, he is maintaining a level of consistency and consistent winning over there on the Palouse that is uh, heretofore unheard of. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's very impressive. And, I mean, I think you have to tip your hat. I mean, he, he still won't run the ball, which is frustrating to me, although James Williams got 17 carries in this game. I mean... I think if he did that every game, he'd win two more games a year. If he if he just committed to the run, he just doesn't. He just won't do it. And I think it's like the most frustrating part of a Mike Leach 
you know, offense. Yeah, but I mean, like, if I, I don't know, I'm kind of like thinking the other thing too is that like if it's done right, you don't really need to run. Like, I mean, you're 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 expected to uh, gain more yards when you throw the ball than if you run the ball, right? You know, and I, I read some article this week that had a quote from like Lincoln Riley or something like that, and he was watching, you know, and he was they were talking about the NFL this season. How people just keep passing more and more and more, you know. And he said he's watching the NFL games and it was starting to look like the Big 12 because people stopped running. Like, because it's, it's, if you can throw, it's inefficient to do anything else. And what it reminds me of is like, like the NBA in the like late 2000s, what little of it I watched, uh, and that kind of transition where everybody came to accept that. Uh, if it's not a dunk, it's a corner three. And those are the only two things that we're doing, you know, and like, how extreme are we going to make this? So like, I, I mean, I don't, I don't have a problem with WSU not running the ball per se. I mean, I guess the, the one, the, the flip side about that in the NFL versus college is that for a team like Alabama, 10 times a year or a team like Washington, you know, like more games than not they're you know, more games than not they should be able just to line up and hand it off. Obviously, the attraction of that is that you don't have to worry about completing a pass, you know? You block it up and it should work. It's theoretically less risk. But, I don't know. That's a, that's a long way to say I don't care if anybody that never runs again. Uh, I mean, Alabama, until this year, couldn't throw the ball a lick. And they've won, like, seven national titles in the last ten years or whatever, right? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you running is is how you win national championships. I think it's easier than passing. And I think passing is fun, but it's harder. And it's the hardest thing in, you know, college football is to, to put drives together where you have to run a bunch of plays and much less a bunch of passing plays. I think it just, it just statistically opens you up to a significant, um, you know, increased percentage of a mistake or a drop or a turnover. Whereas if you're Alabama, all they do is just play devastating defense and run the ball and score 14 to 20 points a game and win. Now, this year they can throw the ball, and that seems unfair. But, I mean, I think historically college football has shown running the ball is how you win. Well, I agree with that, but I don't think it's running the ball is how you win if you're Alabama. Like The, the hard part is getting players who are like better. Like when you take the field, 95% of the time you're a prohibitive favorite. 4% of the time you're a solid favorite. And then like, you know, you get 1% of games that are like near a toss up or something like that. So like, it's not, it's not, they aren't that because they run They're they're They can run because they have such superior talent and they're coached up so well at what they do. I don't know. I don't know. I'm willing to entertain a theory where you don't have to run anymore. That's the point of this. You, that's why you love the coos, man. <laughs> I think a very it, simple, it's a very simple uh, divide between you and me in terms of why you love the coos so much and why I struggle with the coos. Yeah. Well, and I was the other thing I was thinking about this is like, you know, how Tennessee was flirting with Mike Leach this offseason, you know, and then like ever like schools like Tennessee, they think like we can't run that Mickey Mouse bullshit. You know what I mean? We got it. We're Tennessee. When we get it going, we're going to have are elite running backs and we're going to run a pro style offense. It's like, who the fuck are you? You know, it's like, how long has it been since Tennessee was shit, you know? So, uh, and what would happen 
if Mike Leach went to a place where he could reliably get a higher tier of recruit, a place like Tennessee? Like, what if that's what should happen in terms of the game evolving? I still think they would get crushed by Georgia and LSU and Alabama. Out of the but I think the hardest part about that is I think I think initially, obviously, right when you're instituting that system, and the hardest part of breaking through on that is going to be a school that's willing to take their lumps for two years, and then all of a sudden in year three have athletes executing an offense that other teams can't deal with. I don't know, man. I don't see it. All right. Well, agree to disagree then. Uh, long story short, Coog's covered. Coog's covered. They did. They got on that half point there. Yeah. Uh, then we'll go to, this was a real terrible game. Arizona and Oregon State. Arizona comfortable. I mean, this thing was not uh, in question. 35-14 winners. Khalil Tate didn't really run in this game because he kind of hurt his ankle or something. I saw him limping off at halftime. But uh, Arizona still had enough to take care of business. 284 yards on the ground for J.J. Taylor. So there's your running, uh, making up the difference. Yeah, B's disappointed me on this one. I thought I thought John John Smith would have his guys ready, but he did not. He did not. One of these, it's going to be their day soon, though. These Beaverinos. Uh, no, that might not be true. Uh, next up. Stanford and Oregon. This is a game where, uh, you know, we're kind of keeping tabs on this game, waiting for Washington to start. In Oregon in the first half, it was like, oh, my God. You know, Oregon hadn't really played anybody, didn't look good last time they played, like uh, beating like San Jose State, who are awful, by like 12 points. Oregon was up in this game 24-7 to at the half and looked every bit of value for that. Like, that was an accurate representation of what occurred in the first half of this game. And... Oregon was on their way to going in and making it 31 to seven early in the third quarter to put this game to bed. They score a touchdown, but upon review, it turns out they didn't, they were down at the one yard line. The subsequent play, the center snaps the ball over the air bears head scoop and score 80 yards. Stanford gets a stop. Stanford scores again. All of a sudden we are in a three point game in the third quarter. And, uh, you know, Oregon still should have never lost this game. They were, I mean, they were superior to Stanford for much of the game. Yeah. I mean, Oregon ran for 178 yards. Stanford ran for 71 yards. I mean, that you're telling me that Oregon more than doubled up Stanford on the ground, which is, you know, vintage Oregon football, and they still lost somehow. I, I don't, I don't understand it. They're, I mean, the Air Bear had the greatest game of his career. Yeah. Percentage completion wise, oh yeah, forty six yards. He threw for more yards than KJ Costello did. I mean, it's and and look, I mean, I I don't like Oregon, but I also find Stanford's entire offense to be hilarious, where they just literally run guys down the sideline and like throw it up, you know, like yeah, a significant number of the touchdowns and long completions you see for Stanford are legit jump balls. Yeah, um, and they're just taller. They're just like, look, we got six, 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 seven receivers, and most uh, defensive backs are six foot or, or less. So yeah, we're gonna win all these jump balls, and they do. It's like super effective, um, and and hilarious to me. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't know what to say. I mean, the statistics suggest that Oregon should have won. Uh, Oregon absolutely should have won, and they just 
somehow didn't win. Like that's that's all you can say. Yeah, I mean, what I was thinking about coming away from this were, were two games. One was that uh, in Harbaugh's first or second year when they're playing Michigan State and Michigan is attempting to punt the ball with like 10 seconds to go in the game, right? And they're mm-hmm. ahead and they're going to win and they muff the snap and Michigan State wins it out of nowhere. And the reaction to that was, well, obviously terrible, but it was a fluke loss and Michigan is back, right? And we know now in the couple of years since then that – Michigan's still kind of waiting for that all the way breakthrough. Harbaugh Wolverines are back, you know? Yeah. Uh, the other game I was thinking about was, I forget if it was Peterson's first or second year, but at Arizona in a similar situation to Oregon was, and just to reset that properly is uh, Oregon had the ball in this game on a second and three uh, with 55 seconds to go. Stanford had one timeout left, right? So, at, at the least, Oregon is going to, if they just kneel on second down, they get, you know, uh, Stanford calls a timeout. So let's say that takes a couple seconds down to like 52 seconds. Stanford can, or Oregon can kneel again. And that, depending on how long it takes, can take it down to basically like 10 seconds. And then they'd be able to punt and Stanford would get the ball, you know, with less than 10 seconds to go let's say from either their own 25 yard line or inside it and have to go and get a field goal from that position. Instead, Oregon runs just a standard running play hands off to their freshman running back uh, who fumbles the ball. Stanford gets it back. Uh, Clock management disaster. The reason it was making me think about Chris Peterson's first year is he had that game against Arizona, similar situation left. They hand the ball to Deontay Cooper who fumbles Arizona gets the ball back when they should have never had the ball back, and Arizona ends up winning the game down there in Tucson. Yeah. Um, here, here's an interesting thing. Everyone is – I've read a number of things and heard the commentary. Oregon should have kneeled. Have you ever seen a football game where the a team kneeled, like took a knee, and then subsequently punted? I don't know, but it should happen. I mean, I don't disagree with the logic. And everyone said, oh, that's the obvious thing. I don't think I've ever seen it, actually. I don't think I've ever seen a team go victory formation, take a knee twice, and then punt. I, it, I'm, it sh- I'm sure it has like, happened. It logically makes sense in my mind because afterwards, Cristobal was, I mean, the reason he gave for that was that he didn't want to put his putting unit back out on the team to which I would respond. Why did you have a bunch of punts blocked in this game? No. Oh, okay. Um, let him punt then, you know, like, you know, I, I don't see why that was the determinant factor. Stanford would have lost if you had done it, but it is an interesting thing to, to the only thing that was interesting to me about it is I, I don't recall ever having seen that happen. Yeah. I mean, and that's the other thing is like, you can't, also, I mean, I guess like it's easy to say in hindsight because the extremely low percentage thing happened, but really like how many, you know, fumbles is Oregon going to have on the season versus how many offensive plays they run? You know, it's like, you know, tops like two, two or 3% of the time a play is going to end on a fumble. Right. Yeah. And so like, that's never going to happen. It just happened that time. 
Yeah, I don't. I mean, you're. It seems like the, the odds of that having happened were, were pretty minimal. Um, but again, I mean, it's one of those weird things where we talked about it last week, where like Oregon's fan base is convinced they're back, right? Like, and it's hard. It's like super hard to get over that hump. It's not easy. Justin Herbert played the best game that I think he could possibly ever play. He's now the consensus like number one pick in next year's NFL draft, um, which is astonishing to me. But whatever. Um, and and they, you know, and they lost the game, and Stanford gets a, a like incredible win. So I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's it's super hard to get over that hump, and it's going to take a while. And I'll tell you what, second year in a row for Stanford up in Oregon, they had the similar situation last year in Corvallis where Oregon State was in position to run the clock out, fumbled the ball near midfield, Stanford gets the ball back, scores, and ends up winning. Yeah, yeah. Something something about those Cardinal, man. Yeah, something about those Cardinal in uh, Oregon. So, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. Air Bear want to echo what you said. I think at one point he was like 19 to 20 in this game. And like you said, the question with him, at least uh, on this show, has been his accuracy and that it hasn't been up to snuff. And it was, I mean, he was just on. He was on in this game. It was, as you said, his greatest game that I've seen him play. Yeah. All right. So uh, that uh, Stanford uh, uh, covers up their number there, so they, uh, they take that one. Finally, we have Washington and Arizona State. Uh, I think the line at some point was like 19 or 17 or something like that. You know, listen, we all picked Washington, but we told you, if you listened, that this line was too high. And I'm going to go as far as to say Washington blows out Arizona State 27 to 20. I I have a, a term that I've been using that I like a lot, which is like Washington is the worst good team I've ever seen. Like they, there's no, there's nothing easy. Like there's nothing easy. They they should have won this game. Like I was thinking actually in the third quarter, like they are going to cover the spread. Because they're just better than Arizona State. You know? Yeah. They're just better. Yeah. Like the, de- the defense, it was very clear to me that Herm Edwards was was super content to take three and four yards rushing and that Pete Kwiatkowski and, and Jimmy Lake were content to give him three and four yards rushing and be like, fine, run 25 plays in every, you know, in every drive. You're going to screw up at some point and then we'll get the ball back. And and it just worked. You know, I mean, the, the, the defense gave up you know, nothing basically for three and a half quarters. They got scored on in the first drive of the game because of an idiot play call from the Washington side where they tried to do that running back pass thing that they always do on the first play of the game, immediately got picked. Arizona State scores. After that, the defense gave up 13 points. And, you know, and even, the sec- and even their second touchdown, it was a short field because of a Nikhil Harry run back. I mean – the, the defense is so good, but the offense just is not consistent enough. To Washington's credit, the one thing I was happy about um, is that they did get the ball back with like three minutes left with Arizona State have, having all his timeouts, and Washington never gave the ball back to him, which I would have bet you my house that Washington was going to go three and out and punt the ball and rely on its defense to win the game. Yeah. I mean, well, it's it's weird to say for how maligned he's been, but this was, uh, in my mind, one of the great Jake Browning performances. With yeah, he played well. He definitely played well. Didn't make any terrible mistakes. Threw the ball well. Made clutch completions. I mean, he 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 did well. 
That that last touchdown he had to Kate Otten there on the sideline was a special throw. I mean, that that's that's a hard thing to do. He put that thing uh where it was only going to be Kate Otten catching it and it was it, I mean, there was like no from the time that thing left his hand, there was just no risk anything bad was going to happen. Either it was going to get caught or it was going to get batted out of bounds by our player. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was he played well. Who didn't play great in this game? Manny Wilkins throwing the ball 27 times for an average of four yards a, complete, a play. I mean, it's it, ASU decided to come in. I mean, it was a very NFL-like, you know, we're going to take what the defense gives. It was very clear to me that Herm Edwards gave Manny Wilkins two plays, a running play and a passing play, and told him every time you get to the line and there's five guys in the box, you run it. And so Washington just kept putting five guys in the box, and Arizona State just kept running it with E.U. Benjamin. Um, and he, he was doing good, actually. He was picking up three and four yards at a clip. Um, wasn't breaking anything big, but, you know, was, you know, very respectable running game. But who wasn't touching the ball was Nikhil Harry, who's probably the best player in the conference from a pure athleticism standpoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Washington's defense, again, like Jimmy Lake and, and, and uh, Kwiatkowski were content with that and like, okay, you know, go ahead. Take your take your three four yards at a time. We still don't think you're going to be able to run 14 plays and score. And it, for the most part, it works. And you know, I I was, you know, just very uh, you know, I think everybody expected Wilkins to come in sling it all over the place. But it, I think they just played a numbers game. And every time they saw five in the box, run the ball. And Washington kept putting five in the box. Yeah, so I mean, for for a game that ends up being a one score game where we're trying to kill the clock out at the end, I I wasn't worried the entire time. I mean, I felt like we were better than them. Obviously, there's a percentage chance that that fluke Stanford versus Oregon sort of occurrence could have happened, but uh, at you know, for a game that we win by a score, I felt fine about it the entire time. Yeah, I was a little worried about karma on that on from the Oregon situation because everybody in Husky Stadium was real pleased with Stanford's win um, and how it went down. It was announced at the stadium and everybody cheered and uh. <laughs> at their cell phones and really enjoying that. And I was thinking towards the end of the Husky game, like, yeah, that that, that would be karma's a bitch. Like that would this is going to be how this goes, but worked out. Yeah, uh, and also end of game situation. Jake Browning on his last play, it's like third down, and there's 47, 46 seconds left when they're snapping the ball, and they just had him take the snap and run around back there till the till the game clock got under forty seconds, and Arizona State was out of timeouts, and there was a nice little uh, SB Nation article about how much better Washington handled that situation than Oregon. <laughs> Justice. <laughs> yeah. So that was great. Uh, so on picks this last week, I finally had a good week, uh, and went three and one losing the Washington game, getting everything else right and snuck sort of back into it. I've had the, I've been the worst so far, but now I'm within two games of the field. Right. Dirty worm friend of the show went two for two. I unfortunately went one for three. That's how it goes. And, uh, onward to the next, to the next week. So now we're. Uh, so Dirty Worm and I are both 25, 12, and 1, and you are 23, 14, and 1. With a bullet. With a bullet. All right. Uh, so next week starts off on Friday night. We have Chip Kelly and the gang going to Colorado to undefeated Colorado, where your Buffaloes are 9.5-point favorites. 
UCLA seems like a problem this year. Not in a way that means they're a threat to anything. Like it's like there are problems there is what it seems like. Yeah, I'm going to take Colorado in this game. I, I think eventually UCLA will start to pick up Chip Kelly's system and they'll start to play better. Yeah. But this is, I mean, they they got to travel to Boulder, which is a tough trip. And there's been some turmoil with the quarterback's dad being upset with Kelly. This doesn't seem like it's it's firing on all cylinders yet. Uh, I agree with that. Uh, you want a good little Pac-12 game for, for your people that just love the Pac-12. How about Utah traveling to Pullman? Utes, Cougs, two teams that are kind of in that tier just below challenging for conference championship berth. But, you know, you know, I would say consider them to be pretty good bets to end up with winning conference records. Uh, Utah are one point favorites a game. You telling me I get the Cougs and a point at home against a team that can't score? Coog me up. Yeah, this I don't think this line is correct. Utah can't score. We watched it. We watched it a couple weeks ago. They can't score. Like they have no offense. And WSU can score. We just watched them last week score 36 points on USC's defense, which USC's got a lot of problems, and their defense you know, isn't as much of a problem as their offense. So cook me up as well. Uh, Stanford traveling to South Bend, Indiana to play Notre Dame, a matchup of top 10 teams, a really marquee game. Is this game day this week? I don't know. They were at the Stanford game last week because they were at Oregon Stanford. So I don't know if they would go, if it matters that they would do a Stanford game two days, two games a week. It should, it should be the game day week. Yeah. I'm going to, this Notre Dame minus five and a half. That's a pretty big line for my, um, you know, from, from what I can tell, but I, I, you know, I think Stanford back-to-back road trips. Um, the second road trip is a long one, you know, playing at night in Eugene, uh, overtime game. I think it's just going to be hard for Stanford not to have a little bit of a letdown and be kind of sluggish. Whereas Notre Dame, I think will be up for this because of the, the circumstances surrounding the game. I don't know. I just it's hard. I think to ride an emotional high two weeks in a row. Um, so I'm going to take Notre Dame on this. And uh, I agree. I mean, I saw something. It's funny because we're like the rare college football fans who aren't really plugged into what Notre Dame is doing. You know, like in terms of like I've, I'm super proud of that. By the way, that we I'm, don't care about or respect yeah. as like a as as a uh, power. Because here's the thing: they're not actually. Um, yeah, they did win a national championship when I was nine years old or ten years old or something like that, and I turned forty next year. So, uh, yeah. and then the that, Washington won one the year after that. Yeah, so, yeah, so, and so, and that was the year I decided. Yeah, and so, and so, more recent, you know, the team that's won one more recently is the team that I care more about. Yeah, uh, game day by the way, is going to be in Happy Valley, Ohio State, Penn State, another matchup of top 10 teams. The theme of that game is going to be like, if you guys won't talk about it, we won't, you know, you don't talk about your thing. We won't talk about our thing. Let's just keep it football. There you go. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to take Notre Dame also in that game. I agree. Um, Oregon State going to Arizona State. Arizona State are monster favorites. 
And that can only yeah. mean one thing for me. I, I should have done it last week, even though it would have lost. But I, I got to say, ugh, beave me. Yeah, okay. Yeah. The pretty much exact score, which Oregon, uh, which uh, Arizona just beat OSU by at home. If you get that exact score, you will win. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, Oregon State. Doesn't matter if they're on the home or the road. They're they're bringing what they're bringing. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, Cal is hosting Oregon. Oregon, who looked so good against Stanford and should have won, have got to be just chomping at the bit to get back out on the field. But I'll tell you what, this California team, undefeated, right? You know, Oregon. I think letdown potential all over this thing. What time is this? Is this a night game? Yep. An FS1 special. I mean, Cal's ranked here. Like this, this isn't, uh, you know, this is a, this is a fringy top 25 Cal team that they're going to in a game where Oregon is devastated. I would like Cal for an upset here. I hope you're right. I'm going to take the ducks. I mean, I think there's a, a decent chance that Oregon, you know, came out of the first half of that Stanford game firing on all cylinders, showing stuff they hadn't shown all year, and it took Stanford a while. I mean, Stanford did win the second half in overtime, like, substantially, right? Yeah. Um, like, like, by a lot. I think I think a whole lot. I believe, yeah, 30, 31 to 7 is the, is the second half in overtime tally. Um just a big number. Yeah. Um, so Oregon, Oregon, for all of the accolades we've piled on them, um, looked good for one half. And, yeah. And didn't score in the third quarter, scored seven points in the second quarter, didn't, didn't score in overtime, um, and gave up 31 points and lost. Um, I, I still don't think Cal's there yet, but I, I think Oregon can beat them. But I think you're right. This is – I mean, Oregon is ripe for an upset here. This is Oregon's first road trip um, five weeks into the season, um, which is a nice scheduling trick that they pulled. But I'm, I'm still going to take the Ducks. Yeah, I mean, they've got – Oregon's got to have – I mean, they've got to play at least five on the road, don't you think? They're all backloaded. When Oregon plays Cal next week and then they have a bye before Washington. Oregon When, when Washington and Oregon play – It'll be Washington's fourth game away from Husky Stadium in seven games. It'll be Oregon's fifth home game out of six, and they're coming off a bye. Pretty – anybody's wondering – I mean, I'm going to pick Washington in that game per the rules of the pod, but anybody wondering how you can almost guarantee a schedule a loss, that's how. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All righty. Uh, USC going to Arizona. Trojans are th- – Three-point favorites, and that's a line I really like USC for to cover. I don't. Th- I still don't think Arizona is good. I just think Oregon State, from game to game, uh, is capable of losing big to anybody. Even though I picked them this week, right? Uh, so I, I'm, I'm not particularly impressed by the fact that Arizona, you know, comfortably beat Southern Utah and comfortably beat Oregon State. I still think we're USC. That's a different kettle of fish. Yeah, I'm with you. USC is, is the clear favorite of that game for my money. All right, and that finally brings us to Washington hosting BYU. Washington are 17.5-point favorites. 
Free money, man. Free money. <laughs> yeah. Again, this is a dumb. We're, Washington. Now, here's what I will say is that th- even though they only scored 27 points in their last game, they f- flashed to me easily the ability to be a team that scores 40 something points. Like in that game, I think it's a fair argument to say they should have scored 40 something points, you know? So yeah, yeah, that's true. The, 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 like Aaron Fuller at this point is a reliable and good receiver. Ty Jones is a reliable and good receiver. Uh, Ahmed becomes more involved with the offense as the weeks progress. Uh, Kate Otten now a viable receiving option as a tight end. And, uh, you know, as the season goes along, I have so much faith in our coaching that the kind of initial scramble of having to compensate for the unexpected loss of Trey Adams is going to become less of an issue as the weeks roll on, especially against teams that you're better than, which I think Washington is better than BYU. So I, uh, I'm going to say there, uh, it's a, it's a fair line that Washington will cover IRL. <laughs> IRL. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. I I still am. It, it, Chris Peterson just seems to have like his way of doing things, and he's not going to deviate from his way of doing things. And he really wants to get certain things to you know. And it seems like there are a, like available to Washington, like sort of the easy way out. Like against Arizona State, it seemed like the running game was not to be stopped. And they could have just run the ball up and down the field all game and, like you said, scored 40 points. But didn't, you know, wanted to mix in the pass, wanted to do other stuff, okay, what, rather be a balanced team. I mean, I think it's like it's all building towards this crescendo game where they've got everything and it all works. Um, and so, I mean, I, I can see if, if this is the game where it all clicks, UW could win by a ton. But I also could see, you know, UW establishing dominance in an area and then – not exploiting it to the full because they want to be this well-rounded team and, you know, winning by 14 or 15, you know, I, that's, I just, it's hard for me at this stage to pick UW to, to cover an 18 point line or 17 half point line. Cause they just haven't, I mean, they barely score enough points to do that. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I see what you're saying. And I think, I think there's something to that. Like also that, uh, I remember, especially in the last years of the Oregon streak against Washington, they always had new stuff for the Washington game that they hadn't been showing, right? Uh, and I think that there could be uh, some of that turnabout as fair play this year where Oregon is up and they're, you know, they're ready to kind of get things back on track from their perspective in that rivalry where Washington's going to show up in Eugene with new things. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, it seems like that's the case where where Washington is, you know, because it. I mean, you know, I, all year long, I've you know, even like where are the tight ends, and then sort of finally in ASU, it's like, oh, there they are. Oh, they're really good. Um, you know, and it's like where where have they been all year? And particularly against a team like Auburn, where you know that the pressure's coming and that Browning's going to need an outlet, seems like a guy like Kate Otten would be a really nice little outlet pass. Uh, didn't wasn't there, but now you're starting to see it emerge. I I I agree with you. I think Washington will continue to you know evolve on offense and with Bush Hamden as a first year offensive coordinator calling plays, that's going to be a natural progression. But um, 
I think that's going to lead to a bunch of games like we saw last week where you said, you know, you never felt like the game was in doubt. I was a little worried about karma, but um, it did feel secure to some extent. But Washington isn't isn't burying anybody. I still think we might be good. Yeah, you think? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're the, I think we're the worst good team I've ever seen. I think we're 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 definitely good. It's just there's a couple of plays a game where you're just really head scratching. I mean, that first play against Arizona State. I mean, livid doesn't even begin to describe it. Like, I'm so mad. I'm not. You know, I like that play. I w- I went railing that we needed to be running that play more often, and I'm still not mad at the play. I'm mad at the execution of it, certainly, but I don't mind the play. Like, but the guy's got. I mean, he threw it into bracketed coverage, and he underthrew it. You know, the guy he was trying to throw to, or Arizona State just didn't bite on it. You know, and that's fine. But you know, when that happens, you're outside the pocket. Chuck the chuck the ball out of bounds. Who cares? Not only did they not bite on it, but the cornerback came off the receiver he was supposed to be guarding so fast, so hard, like he knew immediately when Bocelli took a step back, like what that play was. It wasn't even a question in his mind to, to get underneath the, the cutting tight end. I mean, he was all over it. Um, yeah, I guess I, what I'm disappointed in is how it was coached in that like Bocelli's got to – at that point, be able to make a read and either throw it out of bounds or just try and run forward and get whatever he's going to get. Yeah, I, perhaps. I, I kind of just wanted to come out and run the ball and just be better than them, you know, and not worry about, like, maybe you, you work some of that stuff in later in the game when they're, you know, stacking the box with eight guys because we brutalized them with Gaskin and, um, you know, Savannah Mad and Kamari Pleasant. Um, which is a very nice development to see all three of them getting significant touches. Um, I'm very pleased with that. I mean, that is running back for Washington is the best position group um, on the offensive side of the ball. I can't, I can't, the cornerbacks and safeties are too good for me to say on the team. Um, But it's, so it's nice to see them established. That's just what I wanted to see coming out of the gates was, you know, this is, this is who we are. You don't have a good enough defense to stop it, and we're going to score a bunch. And then later in the game, when you're stacking the box with eight guys, then we'll do that play, and you're going to get completely burned on it. I think we're going to have plays off that as we go forward. Yeah, you think there's going to be a throwback to, to Browning and then hit somebody else on the other side? Throwback to Browning, or how nice would it be just to get an easy 15 if you do that throwback and he just sits there and it does a pump fake like he's actually going to throw it and then just runs forward because everybody drops off because they're so well coached. Yeah. I mean, there you go. I mean, there's, there's things you can do off that. It's important to do things like that. It's important to move the initiating point of the offense in my eyes. And I don't care about because you're playing that play. Obviously it was a terrible play, but you're playing the whole season, you know? I got you. I hear you. It's a long game is what you're saying. It's a marathon, not a sprint. That's right. That's right. All right. Uh, That does it for this week's episode of the Pac-12, not Pac-12, the Eligible Receivers, which is a Pac-12 football podcast. Uh, For Eric, I'm Warren. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week. Come on,